Alright, welcome to Incubation Time. It's uh, Thursday, May 18, 2017. I'm Manuel Saman, aka Manny, aka Manelson, aka Manster, aka the fast food Galileo, aka the binner with the cool demeanor, aka the full-bodied Einstein. Uh, I'm Will Eisenberg. <laughs> Let's get to the news, guys. Okay, so two weeks ago, uh, I went down to our nation's capital, white coat on, arm in arm with my scientist brothers and sisters, uh, marching for science. And guess who was not there? Will Eisenberg. Yeah. I, so, uh, you know, you can, can you defend yourself, Will? Um, there, there was a nap to be had that morning. Uh-huh. There was Netflix to be watched. Okay. It was raining outside. I don't know. Like, what else do you want from me? To, for you to come out and defend our values, man. Yeah, I. You know what? I do that every, every goddamn day, day with every in hour the, in the lab. Yeah. <laughs> I here's the thing. I think after everything, I agree with you. So right, I went right. down. Not very worth early. it. Then. Not worth it at all. Okay. Um, and I'll try to explain why. Maybe uh, some of our listeners really enjoyed the march, um, but for me, I went down very early. It was raining. It was cold, um, and then. The first, I would say, almost four hours of the march wasn't really a march. It was just a bunch of speeches, right? And yeah, at first, no, when we got yeah. there, there were a, a bunch of videos being played in the background, and they were kind of like sciency and inspirational, and like very cool. And like it was like Don Cheadle interviewing a climatologist, and like, oh, cool outreach, explain science to us. Then like the first speeches were fine, right? Like. Yeah, cool. Science is cool. Science gave us Wi-Fi. Science gave us antibiotics. Let's all believe in science. It's cool, guys. Okay, cool. And then that was a speech times 40 with some music in between. There were maybe just a couple of speeches that really caught uh, my eye or my, my ear Yeah. in this case. Um, and those were the ones in which they presented like a pragmatic viewpoint on what to do about this. Everyone else just kind of just celebrated science and two or three people were the only ones that tried to set out like a, an actual uh, set of activities to defend the NIH budget, to defend the NSF budget, uh, things that we actually needed to do after the march. Because the, mar the only point of the march is saying, hey, there's 20,000 scientists in D.C. that want to be respected, right? Yeah. Uh, we can't all be in on a huge conspiracy theory. That's not how science works. That's essentially the point and to get coverage of that, right? To, to show ourselves that there's a bunch of us and to show the world that there's a bunch of us. Yeah. Um, so you think it's like quorum sensing or it's a way for us to like look out at this and be like, oh, look, there's so many of us. And now like, we'll all go into action. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. But so only, it sounds like only a couple of these people like actually motive, you know, gave kind of action items on like what can be done. Yeah. And, and the it, rest of them were just like, science is great because it gives you cable TV. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and the problem with that is, like, I think it was a result of a lot of the talk prior to the march was whether we were politicizing science. Right, right, right. And whether, like, this would lead to, like, for some people to believe that all Democrats were liberal, like, by choice, by, were liberal-leaning. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, there was, like, confirmation bias on our side. And uh, I think the two speeches that, that were good were trying to say... Science is objective, but it is not neutral. That was like an actual quote from one of the speeches. And it is right to say like, yeah, we're not biased, but 
we can't just stand behind and uh, just watch when what we do is not taking into account for policymaking. Right. So, I mean, it's the whole idea of like evidence-based policies or evidence-based, you know, medicine, evidence-based right. whatever. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that as like a hallmark of the march sounds like it makes sense, but it's sort of, I guess, from what you're saying is that while that may have been a goal that they wanted to attain with the march, it wasn't mm. really achieved in all of like it wasn't a theme through all of the speeches right and i think it was a problem of so there were a bunch of things right so both in the speeches and in the crowd and i think in the message everyone was trying to have like one big tent and that diluted the message of everyone so the speakers were either just like celebrate science a a small minority were talking about being politically politically active uh in the crowd there were a bunch of people that were using their pink pussy hats and basically recycled signs from the women's march or from other marches. Um, And, you know, in trying to do that, it just, like, I would have preferred to attend a less um, well-attended march, but with a very precise message. Yeah. Uh, Whereas I think this was just taken by the media as just like, oh, yeah, it was a celebration of science. Like, there's, like, these harmless scientists just came out to march. Mm-hmm. instead of trying to gather information of all of the people there and trying to actually do something towards this um i the thing is like what do you like what were those action items are going to be like call your congressman like support tell them to support the nih like i, I mean yeah classic stuff yeah. but i think even if it's a, a trite thing to say i think it's important for uh, an event of that size to really set a very specific set of ideas. Yeah. Um, Because let's be honest, let's say we are politicizing science, right? And let's say that that's dangerous. Is it more dangerous than what's happening now? You know, we're being ignored. Yeah. Our sources of funding are being uh, threatened. Like how much worse is it going to be? Are we just going to be like the unbiased, unpoliticized specters to our own death yeah i mean i think that's a fair point but for me like i don't know i want to go to a march just to march and i don't really want to go to hear speeches (laughs) i agree i mean i was so energized to just like march and just i wouldn't sing you know i wouldn't chant but like i was just like yeah let's march because again i do believe in the power of a picture and uh, and the power of just that's why you wore the white coat exactly a massive amount of individuals but I was so bitten down by the same bullshit message in all the speeches and there was no coherent vision for the march that I just, at, at, I think at around lunchtime, I was like, fuck this. And I left where we were gathering to uh, the Native American Museum, which was where my uh, roommate was, also avoiding the march. <laughs> and uh, under rain, I should say. And, uh, and then we had an awesome lunch. Shout out to the Native American Museum. It actually has pretty decent cafeteria. Yeah. Was um, it like $30 grilled cheese? No, no, no. Like it was like a nice oh, soup. $29.95. Nice <laughs> soup and like half of a chicken uh-huh. and potatoes. It was expensive, but it was good. It was good. All right. So, I, so, so at the end of the day, you didn't even march. No, I didn't even march. Okay. No. So, so I, I... Fuck that. Yeah. I so definitely you were right. don't feel bad at all. You now. were right. Yeah. I got mad at myself uh-huh. for belief... For, as I said, second time in my life I've ever marched for something. Second time in my life that I felt like it does nothing. I think, again, like if we're going to try to do this, then we should be politically involved. And then 
our aim should be very well laid out. Yeah. If not everyone in the scientific community wanna wants to take play, wants to take part in it, that's fine. But mm-hmm. let's have a very um, politically active minority of scientists. That's fine. Otherwise, it's we're gonna be Galileo. So just hung by our ankles until. Well, we actually, he was lit on fire. Oh. I think. Okay. <laughs> you wouldn't know because it was a pope that did it. Oh, got it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not privy to that. <laughs> Pivoting to good news, I guess, for science. So last time we talked about the NIH budget, I think it was when we were discussing the 21st Century's Cures Act. Uh, yeah, I think we've talked about it a couple times. But... Right. And so in between episodes, there was uh, the, propo- the budget proposal from President Trump was uh, trying to cut like $4 billion from the NIH budget. Yeah, I think Four he to want... six, I think. Uh, yeah, or in the future, but he also wanted to cut it for this fiscal year. Exactly, too. exactly. So just like make money disappear that was already Uh sort of allocated right um and then uh the democrats in the senate came together with a compromise and added two billion in spending to the nih Mm -hmm. in the bill that allowed the government to not shut down great news yeah right for now we'll see what happens uh there was a report today that uh the nih budget is still kind of under threat uh from the trump administration um but let's just pretend that that money is safe for a second there's good news the NIH just came out with um, new rules, essentially. They're going to try to implement new rules that, essentially, if you have three R01s or the money equivalent of three R01s, you're not allowed to get another one. Or if you want to get another one, you need to like reallocate resources and try to get, uh, you won't get that much more money. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to free up a lot of the R01s that are tied up in, uh, in huge labs with huge famous labs. people, or right. like the smaller labs. Yeah, I think this is like that's a really great thing. I mean, this is something that like we've talked about, I think, on the show a couple times where you have like such a bottleneck in job opportunities in academia that yeah. like you know, you're pumping out grad students and postdocs, and like it's harder to get a postdoc position now, mm-hmm. and it's even harder than to go into like a faculty position. What like four percent of like all those who go into graduate school for a PhD end up in act- on a tenure track position, right? Right. So, you know, outside of like forcing these old people into retirement, uh, which I also think might not be a horrible idea. It's, it's not, but it's um, not the American way. Right. It's not the American way. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> But uh, it's, I think it's like a really good place to start. And, you know, I think, I, I mean, here, like this institution, I think we sort of see, or I've sort of seen like situations where you have sort of a larger PI and then people who uh, are also PIs, but they kind of work in a, the same group, right? Mm-hmm. So they'll call it, you know, like Dr. Smith's group or whatever, right? right. Just a generic name. And under like him or her, you have like, four other PIs, and they all kind of use some of Dr. Smith's funding to get started, but because they're using some of you know, Dr. Smith's funding, Dr. Smith is also on all of their papers, so it's hard for them to get out from under Dr. Smith like, and establish themselves. And right. this is hopefully a good way to kind of drive that. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be unpopular for sure. Like, I can already see... Because, you know, as much as scientists like to say that they're more of, like, the socialist type... Be like, oh, we're all about collaboration, and we're like selfless. I mean, but scientists are notoriously like horrible with change. Yeah, and you know, very like ego-driven. Yeah, and to any establishment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, 
you know, like for, for, for science, which is supposed to be like this open collab collaborative environment and we all are scientists, it's insane that, so like when I was looking at this article, it said 10% of the grant recipients earn or win 40% of the NIH's money. Yeah. Which is, I, I, I mean, I, I kind of knew this, but then I saw the numbers and I, I couldn't believe it. It's insane. I think, again, with the postdoc changes that we've talked about with this, I think it's a, it's a good start. And I think it should, it should guarantee, or I hope it guarantees uh, Francis Collins's uh, tenure to continue as the head of the NIH. Shout out to us again. We've told you, you know, we're true, just, we're very brilliant, guys. We just have the best brains, very best brains, mm -hmm. best, bigly best, ideas. Best ideas. And when we were taking immunology last year. Oh, yeah, we predicted the future. We predicted the future. One day we were just studying, we were learning about the major histo histocompatibility uh, class one and two genes, and we solved the organ. Uh, shortage crisis like we just solved the yeah. lives of people that needed a transplant mm -hmm. with this idea and it's that pigs have like very similar organ size to us and if we only changed the MHC genes the organs would not be rejected if you transplanted them from a human from, from a, a pig, pig to a human. human yeah right so everyone has their own personal pig yeah you know it's like personal pan pizza uh-huh personal, personal pig, pig. <laughs> yes and you take care of it, and you grow up with it. Well, and you then, don't. No, no, no. I think this is how it has to be. Because I think we should earn our organs. No. Right? Yeah, yeah. Then so we no take one's going to do it. Oh, oh come, come on. Everyone would. It's going to be the new wave. It's going to be the new thing. Okay, okay. Everyone takes care of their pig. Uh-huh. They grow it up. And then when it's time for a kidney transplant, they go in, and they're like, all right, Wilbur. That'll do, pig? That'll do, pig. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> That's the worst idea I've ever heard. I think it's great. No, 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 because this is how it's going. Because you never know when you're going to need a transplant, right? Yeah. So in general terms, you would need to have like uh, a subset of pigs that are always breeding, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then if you want to have your own, then you like you can purchase like your ES cells, your pig e embryonic stem cells, and we will freeze them for you. Like we will have them in a bolts. And then if you need them, we'll fucking inseminate. Uh, yeah, but no, 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 pig. that's no, that's not good. Why not? Because yeah, that no, the insemination process is like not. Uh, you have to like put so many embryos in. Yeah, right? like it's not guaranteed to work. And then like if I need a kidney like in a week, I'm not gonna have a freaking pig with a full sized human kidney in a week. Okay, you have okay. to grow it from like day one. You gotta like you gotta be raising your own pigs. I'm telling you, no. that's the only way it works. That's the only way it works. No, because then no, not everyone has the space to raise fucking pigs all the time, and pigs don't last that long. I think. I don't know. You get you get two pigs. That's it. Like a, a breeding pair. Uh yeah sure. You Why get, do they don't breed? Oh man, then you're screwed. Uh, no. Yeah. So well, anyway, <laughs> the main idea also uh, after this happened, we went around and told everyone about it. Everyone that would listen to our genius idea. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it was like four people. Yeah. The kicker of the idea was that, uh, so in my version of the plan, we, a centralized company would have all of the pigs. And then if you needed the organ, we would, we would essentially like uh, ship it to you via helicopter and then receive the organ. And then we would 
process the carcass of the animal. And then once you were like healthy and in your house, you would receive the bacon yeah. that was produced from your pig. And in my more interesting view, you wake up from your liver transplant with uh -huh. a side of bacon on your tray. Waiting. No, because you're assuming that everyone knows, one, how to raise pigs, yeah, has okay. a space to raise pigs, and then knows how to do bacon. Dude, I think all of those... I think all of that can be found in one person. <laughs> yeah, but not every person. I, you know, I think people could figure it out. Okay. So, well, the, with, get the good thing, or the bad thing I'm for us... I'm an optimist. The bad thing for us is that we're not, taking, we're not making these decisions because, as we soon learned, we didn't come up with this idea first, or the, actually what happened is Inception. someone stole our idea. Someone stole our idea. Someone stole our idea for sure. Um, because it turns out that there's a couple of startup companies... And uh, the, some of the big pharma companies flirted with this idea before. Um, the field is called xenotransplantation. And there's this small firm in, in Boston called eGenesis, who was founded by uh, our recurrent guest, recurrent mentioned guest on the show, George Church. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, the idea there is to try to essentially do a bunch of genome engineering on the pig's genome. And originally, we had thought that you only needed the MHC genes. Um, you need to knock out a bunch more. Yeah, it you turns out immunology is complicated. Yeah. So there's a lot of things like, like clot human blood mm. that have nothing to do with MHC. Uh, there's a lot of viruses in pigs that can infect humans. Oh. So that was like the, one of the swine things. Swine flu. How did we not think about swine flu? Exactly. Exactly. And then three... Uh, you need to add a, a bunch of human genes to make them more human. Mm. Uh, so, and Dirt Church's lab, I mean, Dirt Church's lab, when they're doing something important, they do it well. When they're not trying to play fucking Jurassic Park, they published a paper where they knocked out 62 genes in the uh, pig's genome with CRISPR, which mm. is insane. Like, if you knock out five in a cell line, basically done that's your phd yeah like that's a very hard thing to do it's a it's a complex process and you need to scan for offside mutations all the time so it is really like a testament to how good that lab is in genome engineering mm -hmm. and uh the company eGenesis is, is an offshoot of that um and they're trying to essentially get pigs uh, uh pregnant with the cells that they've uh, modified. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, it's very interesting because together with that article, I saw this other thing where, have you ever purchased or seen Smithfield pork products in like yeah, the supermarket? of course, literally last weekend. Yeah, bacon, although yeah. you're a Jew, so it's weird. What, no, it's <laughs> I I'm in America, I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want. I think want. you just committed a sin, uh, Okay. but okay. Tell that to your rabbi. Do Jews have confession? No. Yeah, no, right? Yeah, cool. no. That's cool. We just, we're good. Yeah, that's cool. We're chill. <laughs> but anyway, so Smithfield, so I didn't know this, but uh, heparin, the anticoagulation agent, mm -hmm. is essentially always purified from pig guts, from pig intestines. Oh. Like, it's not made recombinantly. It's on, like, insulin now or... Um, so Smithfield, obviously... Does a bunch of pig products, sausages stuff. A lot of the byproducts that we don't eat go to like dog treats and stuff. Yeah. Some of the bones can be processed and done into like 
uh, lubricants, like industrial lubricants and stuff. And then they, with the intestines, they extract heparin and sold and sell it to um, drug companies, essentially. Uh-huh. Uh, so Smithfield just announced that they're opening a division for essentially uh, big human transplants. Whoa! Yeah. So they're trying to come up. They're with, gonna like, raise the pigs. I, I, I feel I like think, I think that's unfair. This is like if personalized medicine is ever gonna be a thing, you're gonna raise your own. No, organs. true. Yes. You're just gonna have your own pig somewhere in like Virginia. No, that's oh god. Mm. Or in China, most yeah, most probably in China. But that's where uh, the flu is gonna hit first. I don't know. I'm telling you, like, which is better a, than that? It's away from you. No, because the flu starts in China. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the pig should be with you. It's your pig, dude. You did you ever watch Babe? What after I watched Babe, I I was a brief vegetarian. Oh yeah, I did, and I had no problems with it. Is there a talking duck in that movie too? Yes. Yeah, I think They're that the I best. ate duck for the first time after watching that movie. Yeah, the duck's fine. Pork though. It's babe. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Although, I don't know. Like, if it's your dad or fucking pig, I guess you would do it. But what? I don't know. You wouldn't eat your dad? Is that... I don't understand. No, no. If it's your dad dying. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or your pet pig, you kill the pig. Yeah, totally. But uh, I don't know. Or you have enough that you don't care. Yeah. You know, you have right, a Right, because you've got a breeding pair. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, That's what you're not supposed to name them. <laughs> My cousins have chickens. They have chickens. Uh Like, they live in Arizona, and they have a bunch of chickens in the coop now. And one of the chickens was attacked by a hawk and died. (laughs) I had the same reaction, and apparently that is the wrong reaction to have. It's not. Because, like, it's, you know, it's just, like, it's the way the world works, right? Who knew that hawks and chickens were, like, enemies? It's literally a type of hawk called chicken hawk. (laughs) And I'm assuming that's the kind of hawk that got their chicken. But anyway... So now they, you know, they were very upset and I Uh, thought it was like hilarious because I thought that they were growing them to be eaten, but no, they're growing them as like pets and they're, they take the eggs from them. No, no, no. Then you're, you're growing them for food. But they're They're not not pets because you're fucking taking the Yeah, but they have names. They have names. And they're not fertilized because they don't have a rooster. Although they said that. Then how do they do eggs? Okay. So, uh, <laughs> when a when, lady, when, when a mom and a dad love each no, other. No, 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 because like, <laughs> like a chicken's period is its egg. What? Yeah, and they have it every day. They lay an egg every day. They ovulate every day and lay an egg. Man, chickens yeah. must be mad all the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to leave that one there. Uh, but yeah, so this is, this is kind of like, uh, uh, I think this is very cool. I think there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of barriers, and it'll be a long time before we see anything come of this. But I think it's one of the coolest ideas I've seen out there. And I really wanted to talk about it. One, because it gives us an excuse to congratulate ourselves for thinking about this. Yeah. No big deal. Kind of big deal. And uh, two, because shout out to Rusty, our friend Rusty. Um, He's kind of tired of just listening to us complain about stuff. So yeah, oh, this is a yeah, this was a nice thing that we're you know, talking. like it, it's an interesting thing in science. We uh, shout out to everyone involved, um, and this should be cool. Again, and just to add to this, there's already like a, a lot of th- in addition to heparin, um, heart valves can yeah, be made from pigs, pig yeah. valves. So like just decellularized mm-hmm. extracellular matrix, boom, transplant yeah. already. It's amazing. Cool. 
And then some people use the hearts, and again, they just remove all of the cells from it, and the collagen, like scaffold, they use it to seed um, human stem cells with. Yeah. So that they can essentially grow a heart in a dish. That, again, is also super interesting and will probably take a, a long time. But, um, again... Yeah, we're, going, we're going good places, guys. We're going... It's very interesting. Yeah. As long as we, you know, as the NIH has money and as long as there's venture capital and uh, Wall Street invest in this we will have more things like this yeah and, and then, speaking of yeah. farm animals in labs yes remember that thing about the lamb in the bag oh okay it's like incredible yeah so if you haven't seen this please please go and look for the uh, recent paper for essentially an artificial womb yeah another brilliant idea out of uh out of of out of our minds will i I won't take part in this well so this wasn't even just me this was like me and when i was a technician and a postdoc in the lab um and we together came up with this idea for called incubaby and it was brilliant with like a baby in a bag yeah but well so we'll get to that so the paper the paper is uh, an artificial womb for the extremely premature lamb, which they use as a model to try to eventually take this to premature children, premature babies in this case. Um, so Incubaby was the idea of just mixing a bunch of ingredients. <laughs> it was like an easy bake oven. Leaving that bag. For humans. For nine months yeah. and then getting and then a baby. And you get a baby. Which is, I still believe in it. Yeah, I still think, I think we're going to get idea. there. One day, guys. Um, just like put a bunch of jizz and eggs in a bag and mm-hmm. just yeah. shake it up. Yep. And then demon. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> and, and FBS. Yeah, and then you just like hug it for nine months. <laughs> or just put it in an incubator. Right, yeah. You know. Or, or that, whatever. Or that. Uh, Love is the key ingredient. <laughs> that's what my parents always said. That's true. Yeah. It is true. Uh, both in Kentucky Fried Chicken yep. and in Making Babies. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, but so this paper... It's, it's essentially an engineering problem. And uh, it has to do with the fact that premature babies, at some point, their lungs haven't developed enough. There's no surfactant protein yet. And so when they go from amniotic fluid to air, their lungs are not ready to uh, process that, essentially. So an ideal incubator would be fluid-based, like a, an incubator after the baby has been delivered, the premature baby would be fluid-based, it would be obviously sterile, just like the womb, um, it would be nutritious, just like the amniotic fluid, and uh, it would, again, allow for uh, correct circulation that usually the umbilical, umbilical cord provides. Um, so these Penn State researchers uh, developed this thing called the biobag, which essentially fulfills all of those requirements. And again, look at the paper, and there's... I think it's figure two. Uh, there's a photo of the premature lamb when it was put into the incubator, the bio bag, and then I think two months later. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And the results are, it, it's just, the difference is amazing. And it, it, it's seriously one of the, I read that paper, I underlined it. I read that paper like I haven't read a paper in a year. I mean, the thing that's like is amazing, like it's a huge engineering feat too, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, more importantly, and like you had said, it's really for like premature babies, right? We have a horrible problem 
with like people uh children being born premature and the mortality rate is pretty high like it's gotten a lot better Mm -hmm. you know in like the past 50 years or whatever but it's still really high right and so now if you can basically take a preemie and put them in this type of like uh artificial womb and like let them mature to you know come to term right then you'd be saving so many lives and you know, and also life, possibly also complications. complications yeah. yeah, like um, any complications that happen in these prenatal cases. It's like it's literally unbelievable. Yeah. Also, shout out to Rusty again for uh, <laughs> suggesting that instead of calling preemie babies preemies, we should call them primos, <laughs> so that it has a positive <laughs> oh, connotation. No, that's so nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're turning pre preemies into primos with this technology. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Us personally. <laughs> that's 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 what we do here um, on Incubation Time. So like I feel like this this episode does two things. One, it highlights very cool things being done out there. Two, hey, if you're a listener and you have a bunch of money, invest in our brains. Yeah, we're coming up like we had these ideas. Yeah. Maybe years after other people did, but at least we came up with them on our own. Exactly. Yeah. We came to them independently. Yeah, yeah. So it's still one day a great we'll get idea. it. We'll have a hit. And yeah, it's gonna fly. Yeah, fly and you'll own a hundred percent of that. No, no, no. We have to own a percent of that too. No, because we're like employees. What? I don't want to work for anyone. No, no. Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. So, listener, bear with me. <laughs> so you pay us like a million dollars a year for twenty years, and then one idea is a home run. Oh, and then they just, and then we they just, just give own it, it to them. Yeah, oh. just own it. Okay. So we cool. just like, we're just basically like Hollywood writers. Yeah. We just like stay up late nights doing cocaine like, and like give, handing shit out to people. Yeah, who we'll do the podcast, but no one will listen to it Got except it. our... Our, our dozens of listeners. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Everyone will be very disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> so the, the thing that I worry about with the artificial room, and I think, I think this is going to get a good reaction for you, but I could okay. be wrong. Is that um, during birth, the birthing mm-hmm. process is the time when the baby gets its entire um, microbiome. So okay. because the baby passes through the birth canal and mm-hmm. just gets like slathered in bacteria uh-huh. from mom, mm-hmm. if you know what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. And that uh, initial microbiome doesn't, it turns out, doesn't change a whole lot throughout life. And so that microbiome that baby gets is like basically its imprint like for most of its life. Okay. So if you're getting born out of this bio bag, uh-huh. you're not getting that. Well, but in theory, you will. How? So in... in Do they like try and... So the bag, I, I don't know. So <laughs> the bio bag procedure would be after C-section delivery. Yeah, but C-section delivery doesn't get those uh, microbiome either. See, but okay. So two things. One, the microbiome field is still in fucking diapers. Pun intended because we're talking about babies. Got it. Check. Solid. Killing the game. Uh, so, like, I don't still, I, I, you know, I think it's very interesting, but I don't think it, it works just like, it's, I don't think it's as deterministic as some of the papers have um, uh, put out, some of the papers that have been put out there. Um, two, I think, okay, let's say that you have some issues, like some digestive issues because of that. It beats having complications due to lungs, to, to your lungs not being developed. Yeah, that's fair. You know, for the most part, nothing has been shown conclusively to uh, severely affect a child when the microbiome is different. 
like the, the harm is not having a microbiome, right? But we're still kind of figuring out what is, what is harmful, what is beneficial in terms of, of the, the gut bacteria. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't put that as a deterrent for this, I think. Um, and then, you know, just give the fucking baby kombucha or whatever the hippies are <laughs> drinking now to get bacteria. Yeah. Um, in, in Mexico, we used to have this like tiny, uh, it was kind of like a probiotic drink, mm -hmm. but it's called Yakult. It's from a Japanese guy that came to Mexico and, uh, he, he would culture this bacteria and just put it in like milk. Yeah. And it's delicious. Like people drink it like crazy uh -huh. and it's so cheap. Whereas here, people pay for fucking Kevita kombucha, like $6. It's insane. That's my own little tangent within your own tangent. <laughs> but uh, so I agree. I think obviously there's a lot of things that being a preemie or a primo mm -hmm. um, will change. Absol like there's a lot of things that will change because of that. But I think the main thing is preventing, like the main complications that we see are due to the lungs and uh essentially from the nutrition being removed from and and poor circulation due to uh being born prematurely so i think that's the first problem and then if you can achieve that then you can see if there's difference between those kids and and uh, let's say kids born vaginally normally um and kind of solve that yeah but i'm i'm sick and tired of like seeing these papers of like microbiome is linked to this Oh, we should take that into account for therapy. Like, no, it's one paper. Like sometimes scientists forget. And I mean, I'm included in that. You see a, a bright new shiny paper. And it's just like when you were a kid and you saw the new toy, like you just want to play with that. But in science, that's not how it works, right? Like it's all like consensus and it's lengthy periods. And, you know, we can experiment with it. But I don't think... I don't think the microbiome field still has, I don't know. I, I think it's overhyped still. There has nothing, no one has done anything therapy wise except for fecal transplants um, to prove that it is as important as the papers in science right now are saying. So that's my, that's my two cents on that. Um, right. Again, sorry, Rusty came back to being a cynical Brought it back. <laughs> <laughs> but it wouldn't be incubation time without that, you know? All right, so now is the time where we recommend stuff for you to watch, read, or listen to during your incubation time. I, we're seeing trailers for this movie called Fat, uh, Fate of the Furious. Um, <laughs> yes. And I had never seen any of these movies at all. This the Fast and the Furious it's franchise movies. Um, and I was like, you know, there's this eighth one now, and they're obviously not going away. So maybe I'll just check it out, and I'll, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to try and watch all of them sequentially through, which some people said, yeah, you should totally do that. And other people were like, no, no, don't bother. There's, I mean, there's no reason, I feel. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. So I, I felt like <laughs> I should try and watch them all the way through. I watched... Uh, I first downloaded Fast and Furious, uh -huh. which so was one. which was wrong actually, because that's four. Number four is Fast and Furious. Number yeah. one is The Fast and The Furious. Oh, so I watched the first ten minutes of four, and then was told, <laughs> no, 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 this is not the thing where you should be starting. So then yeah. we stopped and watched one, um, which was awful. It was just completely terrible. It was like it's not completely. It was terrible. unbelievable. I, it was like watching that. 
I haven't listened to the How Did This Get Made podcast uh-huh. of that one yet, but in my head the whole time I was thinking, how did this get made? Like it's, un- it's just amazing. <laughs> no, that's the one that makes Dude, sense. No, that's the one that makes no sense. They have, there's like this weird allegory for like race and like anger and stuff because like the gangs are all of different races, which I guess sort of makes sense because life is like that too. I guess in jail. In jail yeah. or whatever. And like even not jail. Yeah, like true. Other gangs. But, uh, but the whole thing is like they're leading up to this race in the desert between the gangs that are all of different races and the race itself is called race wars <laughs> and you're sitting there like they're talking about race wars with asian people and black people i mean that's true like Mexican that people. Like, i mean there's going on there's plenty of things that make no sense but it's at least the one that is about racing cars like yeah like in a in a normal way like yeah let's uh, race cars with each other i mean if you lose i'll own your car but it's not actually about that because while the whole plot leads you to believe that it's like will end in race wars uh-huh. uh which you know take it for whatever that means to you you know <laughs> is uh that the race war scene is like five minutes yeah and that's it the, the movie is like you know it felt like five hours Okay, and the yeah. race war scene like is non-existent. Anyway, it just was awful. And so then we watched four, which turned out, and I was like, oh man, like I'm missing two and three, but I've already you know rented four, so here I've got mm-hmm. it with me. I'm gonna be missing so much. Turns out I didn't miss anything. No, because two and three are have like basically nothing to do with one, mm-hmm. and then four is sort of the sequel to one. So now I'm like, wow, like what is the order of this thing? I know. And then I went and saw eight, and let me tell you guys, <laughs> it was incredible. It is pretty I awesome. I loved it. And I was so shocked at how much I loved it that I'm going to start going back and watch 5, 6, and 7. Of course. Yeah. Oh, you should. And here's a, it's, it's, it comes to a point in which you enjoy these movies for what they are. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I don't know. Because, like, even, like, if, by saying that, you're saying, basically, like, you enjoy these movies for being garbage. And, like, for the first one and the fourth one were straight garbage. Yeah. The eighth one was like awesome i don't know like maybe people might say it's garbage but like it is it was great i mean it's awesome but you're leaving out the part where we laugh at how impossible yeah, well, the of things course, are. like you la- yeah i mean but i i guess like the eighth one then i guess is maybe a little self-aware and it knows how kind of like over the top yeah, and crazy yeah, yeah, it is. Exactly, but the exactly. first one and the fourth one were not they were like we're serious movies because that's what i mean like those are the ones that make sense like those no, are the ones that are sense. rooted in reality <laughs> But not even. <laughs> also, I don't appreciate your your uh, slander of these movies when you like fucking Marvel movies, which yeah, make you know. less sense. Yeah, well, I'm not recommending Marvel movies, so whatever. Thank God. Thank God. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Huh. Meh. Volume 1. Solid. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up, yeah, yeah. In the Marvel Universe, at least. Um, okay, so... Now let's so that will be I guess my first recommendation, right? Go watch Guardians of the Galaxy, oh, okay. Volume One, yeah, on Amazon sure. Video or something. I don't know. Um, the next thing that I wanted to recommend at first I was gonna attack this, but you know it's nice to have contrast in life to have variety. So I'm gonna recommend this other podcast about science, called the Show About Science, with uh, Nate Butkus. And the thing about this podcast is. That the host is six years old. So, oh, so it's like a true competitor with us then. Kinda, yeah. Yeah. Like the same amount of fart jokes. Mm. Uh, you know, equal that's maturity. Sort of equal maturity. Yeah. Um, it's just like he's cute about it and that's why he gets more listeners, I feel. I feel like 
I feel pretty cute. <laughs> all know. right, all right. Um, we've done enough to congratulate ourselves okay, in this fine, episode. Whatever. Um, so I think it's it's you know I kind of I think it's good to again go what go listen to him, see how excited he is about science and how the people that he talks to are so excited about it, and then you'll see like the extremes. So like he's six years old, very excited about science. He talks to PIs very excited about science and then come back to incubation time and catch us in between, yeah. you know? So you understand like how, how you feel about science in different stages in life. Um, second recommendation, I guess third, actually 2000, 2005, 2008 era R mainly R Kelly and Usher. So Usher, I, I spent like, one day I woke up and I just why, wanted... Why is this... This is, feels not timely. It's not timely. But one day I just woke up and I wanted to listen uh, Make Love in This Club by mm -hmm. Usher. Because mm -hmm. it reminded me of when I was like 18. Yeah. And I listened to that song easily a hundred times in two days. It's, is it like recently? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Like on my way to school, I was like trying to dance and shit. It was awesome. Um, and then remember when we watched all of the R. Kelly trapped in the closet videos? Yeah, yeah. So if you have like a two-hour incubation, watch all of the R. Kelly it's videos. It's actually amazing. It's awesome. I had never seen the full thing all the way through. It's a. It, it has Arch, like character development. Yeah. It has Omar from The Wire, mm -hmm. a midget. I've said. I've said enough. Yeah. You need to watch you need this. To know. Um. So that's good. Then next thing, this is if you have a ten-minute incubation. <laughs> Uh, this is also music related. You should watch uh, DJ Khaled's new song, the video for DJ Khaled's new song, I'm the One. And the only reason why, you should, well, it's a good song, but the reason why I'm recommending it is just watch DJ Khaled in the background trying to dance. He is so awkward and fat. And I can say that because I'm a bigger person, full body Einstein, mm. uh, fast food Galileo. But uh, he, it's just, it's so good because he hires like professional dancers and then like Bieber and like all of the like cool young guys. Bling type thing? No, no, no. Because he's like trying his hardest to be cool uh, and like dance well. Really? And then all of the cool young guys that are singing in the song are like just, you know, just chilling, just like dancing normally. Mm -hmm. Then the professional dancers are doing their thing. And then there's this fat Middle Eastern guy just like dancing awkwardly in the back. It just cracks me up. You need to watch it. <laughs> um, and then the last thing, as we've done in the last few episodes of Incubation Time... It's my food list, okay? Uh, so recently, I discovered vinegar-based barbecue sauce. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Be yeah. It blew my mind because I've always had like the tomato-y, molasses, brown sugar yeah. barbecue sauce. Yeah, also and great. Also great. It's fine, but it's in the bottom of the list. Okay. So in my humble opinion, again, goes vinegar-based sauce, mustard-based sauce, mustard -based sauce, light tomato sauce, and then like sweet rice and... Mm -hmm. Heavy tomato sauce. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. But I was just relieved to taste a piece of barbecue that didn't taste like sweet braised sauce. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it just opened the possibilities of what barbecue is. That's, that's It can just be tangy, not just sweet. You know what? That's so beautiful. It really is. You the have American to go experience. on a, Yeah, it really is. You got to <laughs> go on like a barbecue tour. I know. That would be and ideal. I, um, I, I don't know. I also don't super disagree with your your ranking. I don't know if I'd put bar or vinegar at number one, but um, that's okay. You know, it's, what, it's what's a, yours? 
I think it would be like mustard based. Mustard based. And then vinegar and then molasses and then like light tomato. Fuck that. Right. That and then the thing. like the dry rubs are their own thing. Like the non-sauce oh, yeah, barbecue, yeah, yeah. like the Texas style brisket and stuff, that's their own thing. Mm-hmm. But just on sauces, I think California ranks um, at the top of the list. California? No, no, no. Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. Careful now. Yeah, actually. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll get an email about it. <laughs> oh, by the way, last thing in the, uh, uh, recommendation, we have a fucking website, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Burgeoning so, Media Empire. Burgeoning Media to Empire. To borrow a phrase. So our new company, company in between uh, uh, quotes, because yep. we don't make money. Right. Yet. Uh, shout out to Casper Mattress. Now I have a Casper Mattress, so Pay us. what are you waiting? Sponsor us. Um, we want to produce this other podcast that we'll talk to you about soon. Uh, so we created this website for our media production company, which we called Benchtop Media. Appropriate. Mm-hmm. I'll pause for your laughter and claps. And uh, so go check it out. It's benchtopmedia.com. You can see all of the episodes of Incubation Time and of our new project, Bench to Bedside, soon. Um, so yeah, please check it out. Thanks for listening. And that's a wrap on episode 9 of Incubation Time. As always, thanks for listening, and we hope you liked it. If you have any feedback for us, you can contact us on Twitter at BenchTubMedia or via email, incubationtime at gmail.com. All of the articles that we discussed will be available in the show notes. And finally, thanks to our executive producer, Laura Cohen, uh, the Maryland State Flag's number one fan. The music in this episode was obtained through a Creative Commons license. If you enjoyed it, check out the artists Deer Tick, Kurt Vile, and The Relatives. Finally, just a reminder that the opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our employer, the Johns Hopkins Medical Institutions.